Super Talk Mississippi media production. This is Thunder and Lightning here on Super Talk Mississippi. Brian Haydad and Joel T. Coleman. Woo! That was a big one. It was good. I was close to the mic. I think that was more it than anything. But It's all right. It's all right. I'm, I'm a big fan of... of, of big woos? I'm, I like the big woos. Hey. Do you see... Uh, we're, we're already off the rails. We haven't even gotten... I haven't introduced anything. Flair's uh, stepson's going to Auburn. Did you see that? I did not see that. Yeah, he, he was at Auburn uh, this past weekend registering his kid for uh, his stepson, I guess I should say. So what you're saying is the next time State plays Auburn, I yes. can look for Tim Hudson, Tom Glavin, and the Nature Boy? That, 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 that's a possibility that the Nature could be there. The Nature was at a game I went to. He was at the Florida-Mississippi State game in 2001. And I nearly, if I'd had a pen, this is before cell phones, I would have. I was going to tell the, the, one of the highway patrolmen, like, look, y'all are kicking our ass right now. Do me this solid. <laughs> Go get the Nature's autograph for me, please. I'll give you some cash to do it. And but I didn't. I didn't. I didn't have a pen or. Anything. I mean, you know, I'm all for an updated selfie. You know, with the Nature Boy because I have the picture. I know. I, that I, I, you know, we talked about this before. I posted the picture and everything back several months ago. But yeah. I, you know, that was like six year old Joel. He I'm was, all for three decades was, later. He was a wooing at that game too. Fifty two nothing. Like they, they put him on the uh, the jumbotron at one point or whatever that you know they call it, and he was just standing there, didn't realize he's on camera, and all of a sudden the whole stadium's like. Woo! <laughs> he looked up, he saw, and he just gave this huge woo, and I was like, "This, this thrashing was totally worth it to see this, <laughs> to see the nature." <laughs> so yeah, I guess we could see him in Auburn. Uh, wherever you're listening to us, we appreciate that uh, so much. If you're still with us after that little diatribe, even better. Uh, we always uh, appreciate our listeners, especially our servicemen and women out there taking care of us while we're not looking they they are the uh, security blanket that we all sleep under every night don't ever forget that i also want to give our shout out to our great sponsor strange brew coffee house and churn and spoon ice cream they are also taking care of you here in starkville wherever you are whatever you need be it hot or cold they've got you covered be it here's one thing you, you know that you're gonna get hot cold whatever delicious is what you're going to get when you go to strange brew coffee house and that i have to assume as the, as the summer winds down that Main Street location's got to be getting pretty close to being open, and that's yeah, going to be that's going to be that's going to be very nice for everybody heading into you know to work downtown or up North Montgomery or North Jackson. And it's going to be great. You don't have to take that stop on twelve and deal with the U turns and the and the, the medians and all that stuff. So good stuff. All right, we got a good show today. We're talking a little men's basketball. Not surprised. I'm, I'm a little surprised, although I'm not. And I think I mentioned this at the press conference, and I'll mention it now. I called it. I said when we, I was like, we will get back to Starkville, and within two days, we will have a media availability for basketball. Just because they'll just have something random to talk about. Yep. And they did. We'll talk about that in the middle of the show. The last part of the show is our opponent preview, Alabama Crimson Tide. My friend Michael Casagrande from AL.com will join us, and then Joel and I will give you our thoughts on the, uh, the juggernaut that is Alabama. But first, a football topic. Our friend Robbie Falk does a great uh, 100 days and 100... Whatever days it is. to kick off. Countdown. 100 days to kick off countdown. countdown. And he, he comes up with something, you know, normally it's just the player. He's had some interesting ones that were outside of the uh, just the jersey numbers. But not that I want to give his work too much credit. As you know, we are a, a business. We are not a fraternity. Uh, but today was day 67, and that's Charles Cross. And it got me to thinking about Cross. He's a, a, an interesting player to me. And a player that, you know, I've, I've followed his recruitment pretty closely. Uh, you know, flipping from Florida State. I thought that was one of Moorhead's better jobs. And, and if you want to make a difference, a point to, uh, to how, how do I put it? A point to a difference between uh, Mullen and Moorhead. I don't think Dan Mullen gets Charles Cross. 
I think once he flips to, or once he commits to Florida State, you're you're probably backing off of him. And they just they never did a, a great job, especially with out of state guys, going guys who were planning to go out of state, of getting them back in the boat. So I think that's a you know that's a big win for Joe Moorhead. Five star offensive lineman, sort of a Chris Jones kind of recruitment in that he started the year off as sort of this state was his first offer and started off you know just sort of slow, and by the end of it, when he got to the All Star games, he was the number one offensive lineman in the country. Um, so a big coup for Mississippi State to get him. But for me, for Brian Haydad, when I hear five star guy, I think immediate impact. A guy who's going to come in, unless you unless you're Alabama yeah. or Georgia, and you stacked five star guys. You know, the guys in front of of Charles Cross are not five star guys. Tyree Phillips and and Tommy Champion and Greg Island, mid three star guys. Could be argued. I think State was probably Island's best offer. So, am I wrong to expect Cross to play a, a big role this year? Because I'm going to tell you from looking at him when we saw him in the in the uh, spring. He's not ready from a physical standpoint. He's, he's not big enough. He's only probably about 275, 280 pounds. He's got to put another 20, 25 pounds. Am I wrong to think just because he's a five-star, he should be a, a contributor in year one? I, it sounds like something that, you know, should happen at Mississippi State. Yeah. You do wonder, The last though, one that the state signed was Jeff Simmons. He played as a freshman. Is it the position, though, okay. is the thing? Like, I mean, you have guys like Martinez Rankin, you know, Juco guy, highly rated as a JUCO, but yet comes to Mississippi State and does nothing his first year. That's the red shirt. You know, despite being, you know, the size and everything that it was just such an adjustment for him on the offensive line at this level of football that even Martinez Rankin had to, you know, sit out a year kind of deal. So I guess it at that position as an offensive lineman, when you, A, like you said, need to put on some size and – B, apparently, you know, college style, the, the, the style of offense that Joe Moorhead's going to run is probably not much like what Charles Cross ran. Um, when, you, when, you, when you start packing all that together, I mean, I, I guess I can definitely see an, an argument to where Charles Cross may not be as big of a contributor as you would think, but I, I think that that basically comes down to the position that he plays more than anything. You know, I, I feel like... And, you know, you actually played offensive line in high school, right? Oh, don't do this. Now, what are you doing? Well, I'm just saying you would know more about it than I would because I didn't play offensive I, line in high school. I know very little. I, but, and but I'm, not, I'm not trying to make you out, you know, to be, you know, world's greatest you know, O-lineman or no, whatever. No. But I'm just saying that you would know a little just bit. Just St. Al's greatest. <laughs> That's not even true. There's two starting offensive linemen at SEC or at P5 schools in this state that played St. Al's. Well, where I'm going with this, is, though, is, is from my limited knowledge of it, Offensive line sounds like one of the more nuanced positions on the football field. It can be. And when I think about Moorhead's offense and how I I basically interpreted it to be very complicated, I agree. I mean, it it seems like, you know, it's not just block the guy in front of you. There's going to be a lot of of nuance is the right word to use there. Um, Now, obviously, with the redshirt rule, he'll get his four games in. And the thing here's the thing that that I, I like about State's schedule, and I don't like a whole lot about it, but... They should. Those first three games are all non-conference games, so those are opportunities for Charles Cross to play the first three games. So you might get a feel for him and say, "Oh, you know, this guy can contribute this year. This guy can make a difference for MSU this year." I guess my next question would be, "Okay, let's say he, he's not ready this year and, and he redshirts. Am I wrong to think, okay, he needs to contribute a lot as a redshirt freshman, as a five star?" I mean, that would definitely be my expectation, right? And I mean, 
I don't I don't know that you really get into bus territory until you get to be a junior or so and you hadn't done much of anything, you know, late in your junior year, you still hadn't done anything. At that point, then you kind of, I guess, can start floating the bus label around. I don't know that if you don't contribute as a freshman or even, you know, as a redshirt freshman that, that that's the case yet. But I do think it's pretty fair um, from a expectation standpoint when you have a guy that, like you said, is a five-star guy, to think that he might contribute in his first couple of years on campus. I mean, that's not a stretch at all. Um, that said, I mean, I, I don't want to. I don't want this to sound like that I'm dogging Charles Cross either, because you know it, it's not his. What what if he was you know overrated or whatever? You know, I'm not saying right. that he was, right. but I'm just saying that it's not his. It's not his fault that all this hype came upon him. You know, I mean, it's placed upon him by guys like you and me. Yeah. And, and people in the media and people that rate him and, and things like that. So um, the fact of the matter is he has to come in and do what a three-star guy would have had to come in and do, and that's earn his stripes a little bit. And and uh, maybe he picks up things quicker than someone else. Maybe he doesn't. I, I don't know. But, uh, yeah, I would think that, you know, sitting here by the end of the 2020 season that Charles Cross is a major contributor on the, on the offensive line, he maybe before this year's over. I think for sure next year. I think next year you start to see him and Dollar Bill take over their uh, their roles on this team. You know, those guys are the are the bookends of the future, and that's great news for you know. It should be great news for whoever the quarterback is. You should have two of the highest rated offensive linemen Mississippi State has signed in quite a long time protecting you on either side. So that's definitely good news. And, and you know, I, I'm, I'm interested to see you know who wins the quarterback job because that determines. Who goes where? Because you know Maiden is left-handed, so do you switch things around? Because I think when I think when I look at those two guys, Cross is the more obvious left tackle. Looks a little bit more fluid, a little more you know lanky, lean, and and Quatravius Johnson, Dollar Bill, is just a mauler. That is a large, large human being. So I see him as a prototypical right tackle leading the the rushing attack. So we'll see how that pans out. But as far as Cross goes, I I, I think I'm going to have to dial back my expectations because I don't expect him to be a big contributor this year. Even though he is an early enrollee, I think physically he, even if he picks the offense up, I just think physically he's not going to be ready. He needs to be 300 plus plus pounds. Yeah. Just needs to be that to play, you know, offensive line in the SEC this day. Maybe 295 at, at best. But even then, you're light. You're light at 295. And a left tackle at six foot five should probably be about 310 or so. So he's got to he's got to get that that weight on him, and I don't think you can do that he- and be healthy about it in one summer. That's what I was going to say. Like, what is the? I mean, what would you expect him to be able to gain over the course of this summer and you know going into the season? If he was two seventy five in the spring, which is what I think was the the reported weight, I mean, he could probably be healthy two ninety five two ninety five, and then in the next year be about three ten and be be good to go. But yeah, you know it's. It does. You made a good point about about you know recruiting rankings. You know, Charles Cross didn't ask to be made a five star. Yeah, I'm sure he enjoyed being a five star and the attention and the recruiting that came with it and all the accolades. But at the end of the day, he's just the player that he is, and it's it's going to be you know something to to, to monitor. But I, I just don't see him being a big contributor this year. But I'm okay with that. It's, this, it would be different if he was a receiver or a running back. I expect those guys on the field day one. You know, I, I don't have a whole lot of time for that. Because it, that's just – it's just different. You know, and even, and even, you know, he wasn't a five-star, but you think about Martinez Rankin as a Juco four-star. Had to take a red shirt year. What are we watching over there? Just turning the Braves game on for oh, okay. me over here so I can have it in my <laughs> peripheral like, vision. Like, what is going on? 
Uh, Thought my volume was down. Apologize. Yeah, but, you know, Martinez Rankin had to take a redshirt year yeah. and, and all that. So, you know, I think that it's fair to do that. And I think you're, you're going to end up getting four years of Charles Cross and it's going to be okay. So, you, yes, believe it or not, folks, Brian Hayad is going to take the moderated, <laughs> patient approach with something. We're going to go with Charles Cross. Probably not. But that said, like I, like I said, if he, if he comes out in those first three games and he's just mauling guys... Why not give him a shot? You know, man, that's that's why I love that redshirt rule, though, man. You you, you get to kind of see what you got. And yeah, it's smart. It's yeah. just smart. We talked about it yesterday. It's it's just smart. So we'll see how it goes. All right, let's switch gears real quick before we get to uh to men's to uh to Alabama and our opponent preview. Let's talk men's basketball. We talked to uh, we'll talk both basketballs actually. We talked to Coach Schaefer and Coach Allen today. Coach Schaefer's was sort of a celebratory press conference. I felt you know because he's his team or. An approximation of his team that we're going to see in the fall and this in the winter is headed to Italy for the World University Games to represent the United States. Interesting setup that the USA, first off, they're USA team. They're yeah, not Team USA. Not team USA. That is trademarked by the Olympics. So they cannot be called Team USA. Uh, they are, they just picked, USA just picked Mississippi State, whereas the other nations evidently are picking all star teams. So if State goes over there and does well, that's a good sign. But that said, first off, Chloe, Bibby, and Promise Taylor aren't going. Both of them are still recuperating from injuries. And Bibby wouldn't have been eligible anyway. Because she's Australian. Because she's Australian. She's not American, so she couldn't have played regardless. <laughs> so you've got uh, all your freshmen are going, all your all your new faces. Six of the 12 players are new. Six of the 13 players, I'm sorry, are new faces. Never played for MSU. Then you have g- girls that you know, Breamber Scott, Maya Taylor, uh, Jessica Carter, uh, Andrew Espinosa Hunter are going. And then Jazz Holmes is going. Yeah. Obviously not any more eligibility, although I bet Vic Schaefer would do anything he could to get one more <laughs> year with her. Um, but she's headed over there as well. And they made a comment today that, you know, Andrew Howard could have been on this team, but they didn't know when they had to submit the final rosters that she wasn't going to be on a WNBA roster. She was recently cut by the Seattle Storm, and, and Vic Schaefer made it very clear. He's like, if I had known yeah. that was going to happen, she'd be on this team. Yeah, and she is helping them practice. Like, yeah, and is. he said that he's she's making players look bad out there. Yeah. So so that's an interesting thing, and we, I don't want to spend too much time on it just because I don't know a lot about it. Yeah. And I don't know a lot about the players on the team, You know, the new player. I know I know who Rakia Jackson and some of these, these new faces are, but I don't know enough about them to talk intelligently. But just know that that's happening. The games are televised, I believe, but you'll have to be awake around 3 in the morning to watch them. So that's that's on you if you want to find a TV schedule. Yeah, I think one of them was literally at like three thirty in the morning, um, and, and some others were like six a.m. And, and some you know odd times and things. Back to Howard, I mean, you have to think that a WNBA team is going to pick her up as a free agent or something, and give her a shot, right? At some point, like I, I don't know much well, about the I mean, WNBA. I would, I would so. tell you the same thing. I would think the same thing about uh, Jazz Holmes. You know? Yeah. I mean, just uh, I was surprised. Yeah, I was surprised Andrew Howard wasn't a first round pick. To be totally honest with you. And then Jazz Holmes, I thought, would for sure be a second-round pick. I, I guess at the end of the day with, with Jazz, to me, the lack of shooting, you know, she just didn't like to take shots, which in MSU's offense worked fine because they had Howard and McCowan. They had Hunter and Bibby shooting through. It worked. It was fine. But at the, end, at the next level, you need to be able to score. And maybe she just doesn't have enough of that on film. I won't be totally surprised if when they go to Italy, she's a little bit more of a scorer. Yeah. Just to, just to show that off. Be good for her. Be good yeah. for her, exactly. It would may not be best for MS, the, the, the team. I guess I shouldn't say MSU. USA team. But we'll see. But let's talk about the men. Because we finally got an answer to our question about Nick Weatherspoon. Sort of. Well, it was kind of, sort of, the same answer he gave in April with a little bit of addition. 
But again, it was nothing definitive. Like it's so it's so odd. One of the weirdest deals that we've ever dealt with, I guess. But uh, you know, I, I guess in summation, Ben Allen was asked if Nick Weatherspoon would, uh, you know, everything still the same with him, and and uh, Ben said, oh, he's on, he's on the team. He's practicing. Uh, had a good day of practice. I think he said yesterday, and uh, looking forward to his contributions and things in the fall and. I followed up with is yeah, he you got the follow-up is, is he expected to be able to play from day one like when the season begins and we got like the big you know the big grin and well, we sure hope so yeah like I, I there's two ways to read that like you dummy yeah he's gonna be ready from day one we sure hope so if nothing dramatic happens between now and then and then there's also the second way to read that which is we sure hope so but we're not sure yeah. And I, I can't help but think it's option B there. Yeah, I, I kind of lean. Originally, I kind of thought that it may have been option A, but in listening back and kind of, yeah, I, I lean towards option B. Although I don't know why, you know, this is going to still be a thing when, when the season starts, you know, in October, November, when we're, when we're having some of those early season press conferences. If he's going to be out for a game or five games or whatever, if that's the case, and maybe it's not, who who knows? But I think State could do itself a favor by going ahead in June when nobody's paying just a ton of attention anyway, saying, yeah, he's going to miss a few games at the beginning of the year and just be done with it. Yeah. Like, if that's that would be how I think I might handle it if I was in charge. And granted, I'm not in athletic administration, so maybe there's some, here's the word nuance again, some nuance to all that and, or, and stuff. Maybe that's why you can't, but. I, I don't know, and maybe he is playing game one, and you and I are just sitting here. Well, that's, that's on when we're going to know. You know, when, when they introduce the starting lineup for game one, that's the problem, though, is if they introduce the starting lineup for game one and he's not in it and he doesn't play, it doesn't matter what happens in the first game. Reggie Perry could go out there and have thirty-five points and twenty-five rebounds. The story is where. And Nick? our first question is, where's Nick? Yeah. So you know, I do the, think though, if he's not going to play in that first game, then. Because you know we all obviously have a, a day or two ahead of that a, should, a pregame presser. So yeah. I do think that they, that we would know a couple of days ahead of time. I, would hope I, I so. don't. I don't think that that would be something that we would show up to the building and all of a sudden Nick Weatherspoon is not in the lineup. We, we made a, somebody made a point when we were talking about this today on Sports Talk Mississippi that uh, with with Canizero, it was you know here today gone tomorrow, and there was never any. There was never anything official from the university about why he left the position. We all have our ideas why, and we probably, probably at the end of the day, we know why. But there was never anything official from MSU. Will there ever be anything official from the university regarding why Nick, Nick Weatherspoon was suspended? Specifically? Yeah. No. I mean, just in terms of, it, it could be as, as easy as there was an NCAA violation. If, if it was... Speci- that would be as specific as it would get. Yeah, right and, I, and I mentioned you on the show today. I, I think because I said somebody asked if we had done any legwork, and I was like, "Yeah, Joel did a whole you know look for the freedom of information thing." And I mean, th- and there was correct me if I'm wrong. I told him on the air, you didn't find anything. No, uh, you know, full disclosure here. I submitted two two different um, FOI, you know, Information Act deal, public record requests, whatever, however you want to phrase it, um, twice. Um, first time was, was nothing, nothing at all. Um, second time there was some odd language that was submitted back to me. You know, this, you know, I'm not trying to indict Nick Weatherspoon here. could have been referencing anyone. Um, but there was some odd language that usually isn't in those that was sent back to me and I don't have it in front of me. So I'm probably going to butcher the way it was said, you know, 
but it basically said that some of the records you have requested we are unable to provide because of like educational privacy law stuff. You know, that I mean that was what they said. Yeah, it's it was public record and and they couldn't give me everything because apparently there has been something go on somewhere that had something to do with all that. Again, that's not indicting any one particular person, but it was unusual that that language was in the request that was submitted back to me. Um, so make with that what you will. Apply it to who you want to. I'm just telling you that that was as close to anything as we ever saw with anything. Right. And uh, so, but no, from Mississippi State, from an official standpoint, I highly doubt that you're ever going to get any type of exact explanation and again i want to emphasize that i'm doing some we're probably all doing some assuming there i'm not saying that what that was referencing whenever i sent in the foi and and they sent that back and said that you know there's some stuff where we're whole that may not have had a darn thing to do with nick weatherspoon it could have been somebody else you know kind of thing so I'm, i'm definitely not saying that that was definitely talking about nick but that was in the information they provided back to me your opinion when we get to the first game of the season, does Nick Weatherspoon start for Mississippi State? I lean slightly towards no, I don't think so. Because if he was going to, why would the answer not just be yes? Yeah. You know, there's no need to have a we sure hope so or a any kind of think, 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 think thing. Like, why come you can't just say, is he going to be ready from game one? Yes. That's pretty simple, right? Yeah, he was. That, that's pretty cut and dry i think yeah. we, did, we did not get cut and dry and so that makes me think that even they don't 100 percent know and so with that being the case if you made me guess i don't think it's going to be a significant deal though you know if he misses a couple games or five games or do you does that change your projection for what this season's going to be no especially you talk about the non-conference games They'll be fine there with Tyson running the point and letting guys like Iverson Molinar or Devin Butts uh, get some minutes there. They should be fine. I mean, five games is, is not going to be a big deal. Ten games, and then you start getting into maybe that tournament that you're going to, maybe. Uh, anything you know, anything beyond that, yeah. Again, I think State, we have, they haven't released their schedule yet, but I think it's going to be a very tough schedule because I think they're going to try to play the way Florida did last year. and just We're going to guarantee we get in with a winning record. As long as we're at 18 wins, 19 wins, we're going to get in because our net's going to be high. So, yeah, yeah, I think you'll be okay. You might have to take a few lumps early, but I, I think it'll be fine. But I agree with you. I don't I don't know that he's going to play. I just don't feel confident right now. If you said what's your confidence, it's no it's no better than a five. That's just me. Okay, right. okay. Here, I oh, want you got to, it, you've got it here. I want to read this just verbatim since we were mentioning it. Okay. So I, this way that I'm not misconstruing anything. This was included in my public records request back in – like late March. It was answered in early April. Um, let's see. Dear Mr. Coleman, we received yada yada whatever. That that doesn't make a darn. Um, please be advised that some of the information you requested has been redacted or withheld because it is exempt under the Mississippi Public Records Act, including information protected by the Family Educational Rights and Privacy Act of 1974, FERPA. The personal records exemption and other applicable privacy laws or rights. So basically they're saying because of this, you know, deal, we're not giving you everything you asked for. Right. So um, it's very unusual for them to cite FERPA when I request this stuff. In fact, in all of my public records requests before, which is not like I request these things, you know, 
every month or anything like that. But I've had several through the years. That's the first time that's ever been included in anything that I've ever submitted. So I, I do find it, you know, a little bit ironic. Ironic's not the word, but I don't, I don't necessarily think that it is just a, a big coincidence that that's randomly included here. And then there's a situation that we can't really find the answer for. Right, I, I agree. That, that's just my me putting my spin and my opinion upon it. All right. Here's something I have an opinion on. Alabama's going to be really good again this year. Let's talk about the Alabama Crimson Tide. Uh, SEC champions a year ago, lost in the national championship game uh, to Clemson. They bring back – I don't think people realize quite how much Alabama brings back. You know, these past few years for Alabama, for whatever reason, they've just been, you know – Losing guys to the NFL, and it's just been... You know, there's some new faces at Alabama this year. There is a lot coming back to Alabama, and that's obviously very scary. Before Joel and I talk about the Crimson Tide, let's talk to somebody who knows a lot more about them than us. My friend Michael Casagrande, he covers the Tide for AL.com, and we'll get his thoughts right now. Opponent Preview Week takes us to the top of the SEC in the Alabama Crimson Tide this week. My friend Michael Casagrande from AL.com. It says you're the one of the worst beat writers on the Alabama beat on your Twitter bio. Who's the worst? Uh, I'll leave that to the reader to decide, but I'll, I'll firmly say that I'm among the worst. I got you. Uh, and I'll stand by that. <laughs> all right. We all saw what happened at the end of the season last year in the national championship game. I'm not going to be a hot taker and say that the Alabama dynasty is dead or anything of that nature, or even that it's in decline. But is it safe to say that Alabama now finds itself among a, a group of powers with Clemson, maybe with Georgia coming up? And it's not the top dog in college football anymore. Oh, definitely fair to say that. I mean, two out of three uh, championships uh, go to Clemson, uh, and it's the way that Clemson won that game last year. I, you know, I've covered the team for, uh, I guess, 10 years now. Uh, the worst loss I'd seen Alabama have was 14 points, and Clemson doubled that uh, on the biggest stage. So uh, it was it was definitely a, a soul-searching, you know, there was quite a bit that transpired after that uh, in Tuscaloosa. Quite a few coaching changes, staff shakeup. Um, it was it was uh, it's a rough moment around here for sure. And uh, you know, I guess it's the kind of thing. Well, you can only it's hard to tell the full impact until you see how they respond. And they, I guess that will come this fall. Well, I'll see uh, Tua Tagovailoa again. That guy, you know, so impressive as as a sophomore. I, I expected him to be really good. I didn't expect him to be as great as he was. Now, my question for you is, how much better can he be? To your question, I mean, he's, he, the good news for him is he's got pretty much the core of his receiving group back. Uh, lost Irv Smith, the tight end, who was quite a big weapon in the passing game. Uh, but uh, you have the, the big three receivers back, all juniors to be, uh, and Jalen Waddle, the, the sophomore to be. Um, so he's got a, he, there's almost no excuse for him not to, to put up something similar, if not better, than last year. Uh, you know, there's the motivation of the way things ended. Uh, had a great, you know, September, October. The injury started to play a factor. Got hurt a few times. Uh, got trailed off towards the end. So I guess it's going to be a matter of him being able to prove he can play the full, what would be 13 games if uh, everything goes the way they plan, and, or 15 games to, you know, prove he can go the full distance and not get hurt as many times as he did, as he did last year. 
And then in the backfield with him, you know, obviously Josh Jacobs and Damian Harris are finally gone, but we know that Alabama has running backs. And is this finally where Najee Harris emerges and becomes that elite running back that everybody thought he was going to be when he was when he signed with Alabama two years ago? Yeah, and that's the expectation. That's the hope. Uh, he has spent two seasons kind of in the, in the shadows. Uh, had had some decent numbers last year. Uh, most of that came in uh, in maybe garbage time earlier in the season. Uh, it was a matter of learning the rest of the roles of a running back. He can run. He can obviously hurdle people. It's going to become his trademark. But it was the pass protection, catching the ball in the backfield, doing all the things that that Alabama running backs are expected to do. Uh, and he had some guys in front of him um, that Damian Harris wasn't expected to stay for his senior year at, at one point. So sometimes it, it, it comes a traffic jam. And the guy everyone keeps talking about around here, kind of the, the secret weapon that, that hasn't had the same kind of hype, Brian Robinson came in the same signing class as Najee Harris from Tuscaloosa, didn't have the same hype anywhere close to it being, you know, since Najee was the number one running back, but Brian Robinson's definitely done a lot to impress, and you got Trey Sanders coming in, true freshman, another five-star, number one running back, um, who was talking about the Heisman Trophy at his national signing day, so, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see uh, how all that, that group comes together, so it's been such a, a strong suit for this team in the last few years. Is Robinson sort of the Josh Jacobs guy who's sort of under the radar, but he might secretly be the best back on the team? It could be. I mean, yeah. I mean, Josh Jacobs came from so far off the radar. Robinson had a little bit more of a recruiting profile. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, nobody's really outside of around here. You don't hear the talk about him that much. So uh, I'll be interested to see what he can do. When I look at the Alabama depth chart on defense, if you, if you want to be scared of Alabama, it's how much they bring back. Guys like Raquan Davis, Anthony Jennings, Dylan Moses, and the secondary especially. There's a lot of experience that's there. You know, This Alabama defense, they haven't been, I don't know, as dominant as they were maybe five, six years ago. Is this a year where they could step back up and be the top defense in the nation? Uh, it'll be difficult. I mean, there's some, there are definitely some top-line guys that are back in the defense, uh, the front. Uh, some guys in the secondary. It's some of the, the middle linebackers, but I keep going back to uh, pretty thin there. Um, losing Mac Wilson to the NFL a year uh, probably before they expected him to go pro. Um, you have Dylan Moses there, but you don't have a whole lot else behind him, uh, around him, uh, in terms of depth. depth. So um, health becomes, for Dylan Moses, becomes uh, paramount uh, with just the way he plays, he got hurt a little bit. His first uh, his freshman season was healthy last year, but uh, you know, I don't think this is going to be the defense that's going to be what it was three years ago, four years ago, when they were you know trying to make a claim as being one of the best defenses to to ever play college football. But you know, it's, that's a tough standard to try to meet and surpass every season. But um, you know, they'll be fine. They're, they won't be uh, they won't be hurting too badly. You mentioned Trey Sanders a minute ago. Who are a couple of other new faces for Alabama that you expect to see make an impact this year, be it true freshman or redshirt freshman? Yeah, DJ Dale, he's the guy that's kind of really emerged as a nose tackle and nose guard, uh, replacing um, Quentin Williams, who kind of came out of nowhere. And DJ Dale is a true freshman who wasn't the five-star recruit. Uh, had a decent recruiting profile, but wasn't the, the guy, you can't miss guy, and he's really emerged as the what appear to be the starter in the middle of the defense 
defensive line, uh, quite big shoes to fill with Deron Payne and Quinton Williams the last two seasons. Um, Antonio Alfano was a guy that was the five-star. I think he had finished the season number one in the 24-7 uh, recruiting rankings uh, as a defensive end. Uh, curious to see what he can do. John Mechie did some good things as a receiver uh, in the spring. Guys originally from Canada, not too many Canadians, uh, this Alabama football team. But he's got a lot of guys in front of him. Uh, we mentioned before his pre-stack uh, receiver group. But, uh, yeah, Trey Sanders would be interesting because he wasn't here in the spring, didn't see him. So um be curious to see what he can do coming in as a true freshman just uh, with summer uh, and preseason camp. What would surprise you more, and this will sort of wrap it up, Alabama losing to LSU or Alabama losing to Georgia in the SEC championship game? Is this a year LSU could finally challenge them? Um, I, I, I could see them definitely challenging them. But it, that would probably be more surprising than Georgia beating them, considering the way Georgia has played them the last few times they played. Um, and pretty much won the first three quarters into four quarters uh, of those games. So that would be less surprising to see Georgia beat them. But, you know, LSU is uh, long overdue for a rivalry that's as intense than in games there. As anticipated, uh, to, for the fact that, that LSU hasn't won since 2011, it's, it's kind of crazy to think about. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Georgia – Georgia's right there. They've been right there. So I'll be curious to see, you know, if all those scenarios hold again, um, that they would probably be a, you know, a decent candidate to beat them this year. Seems like business as usual in Tuscaloosa, but it should still be a pretty interesting team to watch with some some good storylines to follow. Michael Casagrande from AL.com, man. Thanks so much for joining me today. Great. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks to Michael for his time. We certainly appreciate that. This Crimson Tide team, I felt like he was maybe downplaying them just a touch. Um, which, you know, he obviously knows more than I do. But when I look at this depth chart, first off, you know, obviously two is back. And that that in and of itself is good for maybe eight wins, nine wins right there. If he had nobody else around him. Um, but then they bring back Judy, Ruggs, and Smith, and Waddle. The only, like you said, the only receiver they lost is Irv Smith. Um, their offensive line, Leatherwood, Womack, Jedrick Wills, all played a good bit last year, as did Chris Owens. Um, defensively, Raquan Davis and Anthony Jennings are back. Uh, of course, and you know that they've recruited well at that position. I was going to say, anyone they don't bring back, by yeah. the way, is replaced by another five-star. Terrell Lewis and Dylan Moses, two of the better linebackers in the SEC. And then in the secondary, where you know the past few years they've had some issues back there, but they bring back Trevon Diggs, Jer- Jared Maiden, who is Jalen Maiden's older brother, Xavier McKinney, Patrick Sertain Jr., and Shai Carter. Three seniors, a junior, and a sophomore who played a ton last year. You know, it, it, I'm not seeing a lot of weakness here. Um, and I think we already knew that. I think we already knew they were going to be really good. It was a question of, of are they good enough to beat Georgia and Clemson at the end? That's their last two games. That's why well, I guess they'll have a, a playoff game in there, although it could be Georgia again. Uh, but can you beat Georgia? Can you beat Clemson? Because if you can do those two things, you're going to win the national title. I look at this team, and my first thought is, yes. Yes, they can do that. I, I really do believe they can. Um, now, they have got they do have a couple holes, like you said. You've got to find a middle linebacker. But it's difficult to take concerns about depth seriously with Alabama sometimes because of the way they recruit. They're like, okay, well, who cares? They're going to play a four-star kid, some guy who was probably a top-10 player at his position nationally. You know, what am I worried about? But obviously, you know, they're going to be very, very good. Let me ask you this, though. 
Because when I look back at last year's Alabama game with Mississippi State, let's try to bring it here to, to what we talk about on this show. 24 nothing doesn't say that the game was competitive, but you and I were there. It was a competitive game. Yeah. State's defense kept them in it. They, they, they made some adjustments. They got hit early, but they made the adjustments. And if State had any semblance of offense whatsoever, that could have been a different game. And, and I'm not one that even, like, I, I don't blame officials for much, but mm-hmm. the officials cost State any momentum whatsoever. Well, they, they missed two huge game. calls. They, yeah. The fumble at the, on the, what, the first possession of the game, yes. which State would have had the ball. I don't know if they would have done anything. But the, it just it changed the game a little bit, and, and then that obviously turned into an Alabama score. It did, and then obviously the the penalty on the Kylan Hill run that put the ball at the one yard line, where you got to think State's probably going to punch it in. Um, if State is, that's been sort of our theme all off season is State should be better offensively. If State is better offensively this year, can they at least make it sort of like it was two years ago and have a puncher's chance and and stay in the game with Alabama? Well, it seems like at home State usually at least puts a little scare into Alabama sometimes. So I, I I think yes, because I still think State's going to be really good defensively. Not what they were last year, but really good. And I do think that, as we've been talking about now for months, and we'll talk about it more in the weeks to come, I think State's a little better offensively. If it comes down to you're probably going to have to create a, a turnover or two, and you can't turn the ball over, and then all of a sudden you get into the second half and you got a puncher's chance. I... I I mean, I'm dang sure not picking State to win that game. No. But if you told me we get into the second half and State is within 14 and, yeah. and kind of has a chance to score. Has and some then, momentum, yeah. Then, I mean, I'm not totally shocked by that. Right. Um, that said, man, you, you were just rattling off who was coming back for Alabama. and, and like. I mean, those, those I, receivers, there's three first-rounders in there I mean, if on you, one team. This is and this is an old miss first rounders. This is real first rounders. <laughs> Let's play like final jeopardy here for a second. You yeah. know how you can like wager everything you have yeah. if you want to. Yeah. You consider everything you own, your home, what's in the bank, everything. Mm-hmm. Like I, I'm I don't know that I would 100% wager everything, but I would almost be willing to wager everything I own that they're going to be in the college football playoff. Oh, in the playoff? Yeah. Oh, I put everything I own. Everything I own. No no way around that. Even if they lose to Georgia in the SEC championship game, which I don't think they will, they're still getting in. Yeah. If they are, they would be what? 12-0. and 0. If they're 12-1 and 1 with their one losses to Georgia, who I think would be undefeated, they're getting in. Period. And, and you know, like, there's Georgia's somewhat like that. Clemson's a little bit like that. Like Clemson's going undefeated. They got nobody on the schedule to challenge them. Georgia, they have Notre Dame, but I think they're better than Notre Dame. And they have Alabama at the end of the year. I'm going to watch because, hey, I get paid to watch. It's my job um, to watch college football. So I'll watch plenty of college football this year. But Are you one of these and, people and enjoy, that think it's well, boring? I'm just like, it, it's a little bit anticlimactic, yeah. Well, at the very top it is, but the other storylines throughout the season. You know, there are, and, 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 and you're right. You know, who, and like yeah. you said a million times, if you, as a state fan, go into a season thinking yeah, that if you're just worried about the national title, well, you're wasting every season's going to be a disappointment for you kind of deal, yeah. so just enjoy the ride. And I get that, and I do. Um, but, I mean, do you not get that it might be kind of fun to see a few surprises every now and well, then? Well, that's the thing about it is, though, there, there could be a surprise. We don't know that. You know, we just don't know. Is this the year somebody could jump up? I mean, could LSU jump into this? They could. Could somebody, you know, from the Big Ten? What if Michigan finds a way to, to finally get past Ohio State and they beat Notre Dame and they're undefeated? They could get in there and, you know, you never know. So, I mean, they're, they're, 
I hate writing it off already here. It's just it's just not going to be. Last year, nobody thought Clemson was going to win the national title. Two years ago, nobody thought Georgia was going to go, you know, have the season they had. Nobody thought those things. So things could happen. Don't 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 hate on college football just because there's a lot of there's not a lot of parity. That just doesn't work for me. So let me ask you this: though. one last question about Alabama. How much longer? How much longer is he going to be there? If you, if I said Joel, it's it's 2019. If we're you and I are still blessed enough to be doing this podcast in 2024, are we still when we preview Alabama? Is Nick Saban still the head coach there? I mean, if if God allows his pulse to still be you know popping, then I think they might find a way to read his brain signals from a coma. <laughs> like, come on in and meet Coach Saban. I know he can't speak, but here's the your official visit. We're going to wheel you into the hospital. <laughs> I mean, I've thought several times the last few years, like, this is probably going to be it for him. I'm at the point now where I think he's going to be. I really thought. He's just going to die on the sideline. I really thought if they could have won last year, he might have been willing to walk away. Because he got ahead, he would have gotten ahead of Bear. But that now I think Clemson may have lit a fire. <laughs> and that's the worst thing ever if you're not a fan of Alabama, is a motivated Nick Saban. Whenever Alabama gets knocked down, they tend to get back up pretty fast and pretty hard. So we'll see what happens next week. Who is next week? Is it Texas A&M? I don't, I don't, I don't have the schedule memorized as well as I should. Now, let's see here. Here we go. Uh, no, wow, it's Arkansas. Now, I used to talk to them a little late. Well, so we'll talk about the Razorbacks next week. Are they going to be any better? And they, they can't be a whole lot worse. That's no. all we'll say about that. All right, guys. Uh, yeah, we'll do tomorrow's show. A little more football talk for you as well. We'll keep that coming. Plus, anything else that pops up between now and then, you know. You can count on Joel and I to give you our thoughts on it. For Joel T. Coleman, I'm Brian Haydad. Thanks for listening to Thunder and Lightning on Super Talk Mississippi. Mississippi Media Production.